So let's go to God's Word as we read, first of all, from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And then turning to the New Testament, to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, begin to give Jesus' ministry. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. They got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, uh, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the light of your word. It is truly a lamp unto our feet. So, Lord, help us to follow the light, to go your way, to follow your path, that we might find joy and blessing. Speak to us afresh this moment. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care, about some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not so good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsy as you. 
And then things start to happen. Don't worry. Don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Well, if you think that sounds like Dr. Seuss, you're right. In fact, I'm becoming reacquainted with Dr. Seuss as I read books to my granddaughter. Uh, I've got a lot of Dr. Seuss books. I think my favorite is One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. As great a book as that is, I will not read it to you now. <laughs> but uh, this, uh, this one book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, actually was the last book that Dr. Seuss wrote before his death in 1990. And it's really not so much a book for children as it is for anyone who is embarking upon a new phase or a new venture in life. It's a really good book to give to those who are graduating from school. But in fact, I think the book has universal appeal because it captures for all of us a sense of the adventure that is life. Oh, the places you'll go, the things you will see, the things you will do. Life is an adventure. Do you believe that? Not just for those who are young or who are starting out in life, but all of us, no matter where we are in our particular stage of life, we're all living the adventure. Now, who doesn't like a good adventure story? There are thrills and spills. There are twists and turns. There's ups and downs. There's surprises and mishaps along the way. The journey is risky and full of unknowns. But in the end, looking back, the adventurer is likely to say, my, what a ride. Oh, the places I've been. And then the adventurer realizes that, uh, that they are so much better because of the journey. God is writing a grand adventure story. And you and I have a part to play in it. And the story begins when we answer God's call to know Him and to follow His lead in life. You know, our primary calling is not really to do something, but to know someone. God calls us to himself and he says, get to know me. Walk with me. To know God and to walk with him is to embark upon the greatest venture anyone can undertake. It's to experience life in all its depth and all its fullness. And the life to which he calls us is not always easy, to be sure, but it's full of wonder and joy and purpose and significance. The life to which God calls us is anything but dull and grim and boring. And yet so many people have the impression that that is indeed what life with God is all about. Kind of a grim following of rules and regulations and commandments. They have this mistaken notion that God's main concern is to merely make people nice. Is that the gist of the gospel? That we should all be nice? Is that what it's all about? Just be nicer? Somehow the call to be nicer just doesn't grab you, does it? As a purpose in life, just to be nice? It doesn't inspire us to want to know God or to walk with Him day by day by faith. 
And surely you can be a nice person and you can be a morally upright person without God in your life. So why bother? Eugene Peterson notes that many people have a static notion of the Christian life. For them it means a stiff, upright, inflexible way of life, colorless and unbending. But to others it means a risky, surprise-filled venture live tiptoe at the edge of expectation. If we get our information from the biblical material, there is no doubt that the Christian life is a dancing, leaping, daring life. What a marvelous description of the Christian life. It really is a dancing, leaping, daring life. It's a life of adventure. You know, life in itself, of course, is an adventure, but being a Christian makes it even more so because then you get caught up in the story that God is writing and you realize you have a part to play, that you're in the story. You're part of the adventure story. And you know that God wants to use you to good, good purpose. So you respond to God's call. You begin to follow His lead. In the Bible, when God calls human beings, it's always a call to venture out beyond old comfort zones and old habits, established patterns of life into new realms of discovery and surprise. I think of God's call to Abraham. God said, Abe, I want you to leave your, your family, your friends, your country. I'm going to take you to a land that you don't know anything about, but I'm going to take you there. And uh, despite your advanced age, Abe, you're going to have kids, and your kids are going to have kids, and you're going to have one big family, and by your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It was a call to venture out into uncharted territory. For Abraham, it meant leaving all that was safe and secure and familiar and heading out into the unknown, into what was unsafe and uncertain. He didn't realize, well, he didn't know where he was going. And responding to God's call took a lot of courage on his part. It was a daring, risking, risky thing to do. But he believed that God was calling him to do just that, and he went out. And what an adventure it was. His life took some surprising turns and twists. Some of his experiences were downright harrowing. But God guided him in his adventure of faith, and he eventually claimed the blessing. God used him in a mighty way. In fact, we are the recipients of God's initial response to God. Had Abraham refused the cause, and no, I'm going to stay with what's familiar, what I know. I'm going to stay comfortable at home. Thank you very much, God. Then he would have missed the blessing. The calling of the first disciples was a call by Jesus to go on an adventure with him. And I love the way that, that Luke tells a story. A crowd had gathered at the seashore. They were listening to Jesus teach, and they were crowding in around him and pressing in upon him. And Jesus spotted a couple of boats at the shore and, and uh, called to its owner, to Simon, hey, can I use your boat? And uh, so Jesus got into the boat and went out into the waterways, and uh, 
Thereby, he escaped the pressure of the crowds, and he could use the natural sound amplification of the water, you see. And so he taught, and then after Jesus finished speaking, he noticed Simon and his partners cleaning up after a night of fishing. And he said, okay, guys, grab your nets. Let's go fishing. And Simon and, uh, and friends, by this time, knew something about Jesus. They knew this guy was special. I mean, they, they loved the way he was teaching, and they had probably heard that he had performed some miracles. But what did this guy, what did Jesus know about fishing? I mean, really, if anybody knew fishing, if anybody knew that lake, it was Simon and the sons of Zebedee. But maybe it was to humor Jesus, I don't know, but, uh, but Simon said, okay, guys, let's just do what he says. And uh, they set out their nets. Jesus pointed to the deep waters and then told them to cast their nets out. And, and lo and behold, the nets were so full of fish, they could, they could hardly bring the, the fish into the, into the boat. And needless to say, Simon and his friends were astonished. They were awestruck, so awestruck that Simon just knelt in the month, um, on his knees amongst the bellies of fish. And uh, he recognized divinity when he saw it, and he confessed his own unworthiness. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So that Jesus at that moment was calling Simon and his partners to a larger and grander purpose in life, to a new adventure. Now they had kingdom work to do. And Simon figured that if Jesus could fill nets like that with fish, there's no telling what, what Jesus might do with his life. And so Luke tells us that they dropped their nets and they followed him. They essentially risked all to heed the call. They ventured out into the unknown, leaving their old life behind. And then looking back three years later after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, those disciples must have looked back and they must have said, Oh, the places we've been. What a ride. The sights that we've seen. And God was leading. Jesus was leading all the way. Life with Jesus was anything but boring and predictable and safe. It was an adventure. And the adventure goes on. And those disciples wouldn't have missed that adventure for the world. To be sure, the future wasn't all mapped out for those disciples, right? Following Jesus, they really didn't know where he was going to take them. But they trusted him, and he led the way, and in following him, they found and fulfilled the central purpose of their lives. And the Lord is still in the business of calling people like you and me to leave the safe and the certain and the predictable and move out on the road to adventure in trust. And that adventure doesn't end. No, it goes through till the day we die. We are on that adventure. Perhaps the Lord is nudging you and me to let go of some of our old habitual patterns of life in order to venture into new territory, new arenas of faith and service and personal growth. Perhaps we've been afraid of committing the, enti the entirety of our life to the Lord. 
we've been doing our best to kind of keep his claims kind of at arm's length because we know that if we give ourselves totally to him, then our lives might change in ways that we're not too sure about. And yet he keeps calling our name. He keeps pestering us. He keeps asking us to drop our nets, whatever we're holding on to for purpose and meaning. Drop the nets. He calls us to follow his way. So could it be that our hearts are softening and, and uh, that, that just now we might be willing to respond? Perhaps we sense that God's calling us to take up a new career or to engage in a new realm of service where we can accomplish more for God's kingdom. Perhaps God's calling you and me to move out of our predictable routine to learn some new skill or to explore some new areas of interest, remembering that we are never too old to learn something new or try something different. I think it was instructive that Abraham was 75 years old when God asked him to leave everything and venture out into a new place. God is always calling people to move out of their comfort zones, whatever that may be, and that always involves a little risk and some daring. But in the end, living the adventure is all about trusting God. It's kind of scary, actually, to contemplate the future. Here we stand, uh, you know, at the beginning of a new year, and we have no idea what this new year will bring. But if God is in our life, then we can be ready for anything, knowing that He will see us through, that ultimately we're in His hands. A pastor, a friend of mine, John Westfall, wrote a book about Christian discipleship entitled Coloring Outside the Lines. And in this book, he tells a story of a time when he was visiting Atlanta and was approached on the street by a shoeshine man. And John told the man that he didn't want to have his shoes shined, but the, the man said he would shine his shoes for free. A shoe shine for a tip, that's the best deal in town, he told John. Well, not the kind of person to pass up a bargain. John climbed up on the chair while the shoe shine man worked on his shoes. And when he finished, John started to get up, but the shoe shine guy said, Wait a minute, it's time for your tip. So confused, John sat back down and the man reminded him, shine for a tip, now I have a tip to give you. And he asked John if he trusted God with every area of his life. And John said, well, I, he did most of the time. Then the shoeshine man told John to picture a construction worker building a very tall office complex who suddenly slips and falls. And he finds himself desperately holding on to the scaffold, many floors above the pavement. But fortunately, God is standing on the sidewalk below, and he calls out. God calls out, let go of the scaffold. Let yourself fall. Trust me. I love you. I'll catch you. And while the worker is thinking this over, the devil suddenly appears next to God and yells, hang on, brother. Don't let go. And then the shoeshine man looked directly into John's eye and asked, Who are you going to trust, mister? Who are you going to trust? And that's a good question, isn't it? Who are you going to trust in life? Whom will, we, who will, whom will you trust in this adventure? Will we let go and trust God? 
or we try, well, we try to wing it on our own, thinking we know what's best for our lives, relying on our own limited wisdom and resources to get by. And you know, when life caves in, when life gets really difficult, when some crisis hits as it inevitably will, when life comes along and actually kicks out all the supports of our life that we've counted on, then really, isn't it true that all we can do is hold on to God for dear life? Isn't that all we can do when we come to the end of our rope? Hold on. Hold on for dear, dear life. Trust Him to lead. Who are you going to trust in the end? We were created by God to be in relationship with Him. And apart from Him, we stand on the sidelines of life, missing out on the action and the adventure and the fun and fulfillment that comes from knowing Him and walking in His way. To know Him and to walk with Him in the adventure of faith requires that we set aside our need for control and let go and let God have control of our lives. We say, here I am, Lord. I don't know where I'm going in my life. I don't know what my future holds. But I know that you've got the future, and I know that you've got a hold of me. Lord, strengthen my trust in you, because really, you're all I need. Tim Hansel uh, puts what I've been saying in perspective with a wonderful analogy he uses to describe the Christian life. I don't know if you've heard this before, but he says, at first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through the rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. And even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into the adventure, and when I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord and mine, my Lord's and mine. And then we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received, and still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to shorten scary passages. 
and I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, and I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do it, he just smiles and says, pedal. So in the adventure of life, we let Christ steer. We may not know exactly where he is taking us, and sometimes all we can do is hold on in faith and trust and pedal away. But one thing is for sure. If he's up front and steering, we don't have to have a worry in the world. Life with, with him is a guided adventure, and he will bring us in the end to a place of joy and fulfillment and blessing. And since he is writing the adventure story, writing it, the outcome is assured. It will have a happy ending, for he is working all things together for good to those who love him. So, we need to shut up and pedal. <laughs> Follow Jesus. He's in the lead, right? Oh, the places you'll go with him in our life. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. So may it be. Amen. Lord, uh, we're all on this grand adventure together. And we have to admit, sometimes it can be quite harrowing. But we know that you are sovereign and that you are Lord and that you are steering. And Lord, it's good to know that we're on the bike. And that you are there for us. Lead us, Lord, to places of great blessing and joy, even times of difficulty and hardship. We want you to steer. We give ourselves anew to you this day. In the name of Christ, amen.